Hello, mamas. We are Allison, Kelsey, and Melissa, and we would like to welcome you to the Unstressed Mama podcast, the podcast that will teach you how to manage the daily stress that comes from being a mom. Nothing is off limits here. From peeing your pants to balancing your budget to working out, we'll talk about it. Please note that the information we provide on this show is intended to educate and inform, but is not meant to substitute any advice from your physician or medical provider. The audience question and answer episode is back. I love these. First, we get to know what concerns you have and can help us provide better and more tailored content in the future. Second, it's nice to dig around and get the answers. And if you remember from our first episode, I love learning. And then third, these are my favorite. I love seeing what you guys have questions with and just the conversation we have answering your questions um, is a lot of fun. And we're excited to answer a few more today. All right, the first question we have, uh, this is from Rachel. Uh, As we age, and she says, I mean, not me, everyone else. Uh, We all know the benefits of pre-exercise routines, good shoes and equipment, stretching, et cetera. What are the uses of KT tape to both avoid injury and aid in healing? Is it something we can learn to do correctly at home? Can a bad tape job be more harmful than helpful? What are some suggestions for getting optimum taping results? And I think this flows right into Kelsey's wheelhouse. I saw this question in the group and I got really excited because I love um, KT tape or kinesio tape or rock tape or whatever you want to call it, whatever you're familiar with. A couple years ago, as part of my relicensing, I have to relicense every two years. And part of that requires some continuing education. And I opted to take a two-day course on kinesio taping. And it was fantastic. I loved it. I learned a ton. I was actually, I was in the course and I had like a, I'm trying to remember how old Dean was. He wasn't even a year. I took it in February. So he was like six months old. So I had a six month old baby. So I had to find places to pump every time we had a break, which was super fun because I was the only mom there and everybody else was like, why is this girl like sneaking around and finding corners and hiding under a blanket but that's a topic for another day anyways I took this class for two days and I learned all of the basics all the fundamentals about kinesio taping and why kinesio taping is helpful what are the best ways to utilize it all that kind of stuff and I was so excited I took this course I learned this stuff and then I realized that there's so much information online Okay. And I was like, well, kind of, I was a little defeated because every time I talked to someone about it, they're like, oh, I found a video on YouTube and I, and I did this and it was great. I'm like, well, I'm glad you're finding things that's useful, but like, I learned a lot more than a YouTube video that I want to share with people. Um, and it kind of took me a little bit to get like excited about it again. I don't know if that makes sense, but I still love it. I still use it. I'll still talk about it a lot. So kinesio taping for those who are unfamiliar with kinesio taping It is um, an elastic type tape. So if you were to go, if you did, you know, sports in high school or in college and you ever went to the athletic training room because you had a sprained ankle and you had them tape your ankle, they did not use kinesio tape. They used white athletic tape. White athletic tape is stiff 
and it's applied for the purpose of giving you support. So like if you, if you jacked up your ankle, you are ten, prone to spraining your ankle and you went in for ankle taping, they would basically make a boot with athletic tape for you to go play your sport. And that tape is there to provide you support. Kinesio tape is very, very, very different from white athletic tape in the fact that it's very stretchy. So when you put that on, the tape itself is really not applying or providing support. There's a lot of ins and outs in it, but essentially kinesio tape is there to help assist your muscles to better perform. Um, there's different ways that you can tape to promote muscle activation versus muscle inhibition. So if you have overactive muscle, a lot of us, like if you have tension in your neck, you have overactive muscles in your neck, you can put kinesio tape on in a certain way that will help um, tone down the muscle activity so that it'll relax a little bit more. Um, versus if you have, I just did a taping this week on somebody who is very weak in between their shoulder blades, their postural muscles. And we're like, Hey, you know what, let's try Let's tape it this week while you do your exercises and see if this gives you enough muscle, um, facilitation so that those muscles will work a little bit more while you do your exercises. So there's different ways to use it. One of my other favorite ways to use it is to actually use it um, to help decrease swelling and inflammation. It's really, really cool for how it works on the lymphatic system if you know how to use it. So there's a lot of applications and I've actually talked to a lot of other um, of my PT friends then I, and I get mixed reviews. Some of them really like it and some of them don't ever see the results that they want to see when they use it. And honestly, I chalk that up to training and experience with using the tape. So the question, I had a couple different parts. I'm gonna go back to it. said, so what is the use of KT tape to both avoid injury and aid in healing? Um, it kind of depends on what you're dealing with. So right now I'm dealing with some back issues and some knee issues, and I'm using kinesio tape as a supplement to help manage pain, manage muscle tightness as I'm using other exercises as well. So KT tape in, its, in and of itself is not the only treatment option that you should be using if you're trying to recover from an injury, but it's a really good tool to add. So I, a couple weeks ago, I had someone who, um, jacked up their leg doing tennis, like pulled a muscle and they were bruised from knee to hip. And we did some kinesio tape to help move that bruise out because the pain, the, there was a bruise that was building up a lot of blood pooling right behind their knee. So it was hurting to bend their knee. So we taped, moved it out, and then we could get back to moving and getting better um, muscle recovery, muscle healing. So it's not the only option, but it's a really good supplement to something like that. I will say as far as a preventative option, I don't really, because unless you know that you're prone to like an ankle injury, um, it's hard to know like where you need to prevent an injury from happening, right? Like if you're a chronic shoulder dislocator, then you know that that's probably going to happen. And you can use kinesio tape to help activate those muscles to stabilize your shoulder a little bit more. If you are prone to ankle injuries, you can use kinesio tape to kind of help support the ankle, get the muscles active a little bit more, but as like a general injury prevention, I don't really see a good application for it unless you are prone to re-injury, if that makes sense. Um, the second part of the question is, is it something we can learn to do correctly at home? 
And this is a yes and no question. Yes, Melissa. Before we go to the next question. So from what you just said, I understand if you're going to use it for injury, it's a good you know, aid to kind of help in the pain management when injured, not to use it for preventive. So if you see people running on race day at a big race with like, you know, them taped all over, that seems to me like, why are you running or doing whatever your activity is, right? With all of this, these injuries. Now in my race mind, I'm like, it's because I've trained for this race and this is race day and I can't change that. So much like an athlete on game day. But why would me as a, you know, regular, not specifically like sport person, why should I put myself through the pain of an injury and, and like continue training through it versus um, just resting? That's a really good question. So right now, like I mentioned, I'm dealing with some chronic back pain and some knee issues. And I'm using KT as a supplement so that I continue, can continue to train. Um, and I will say I am actually training for an event. So that is part of it. But when it comes to, depending on the injury, right? I mean, there's some injuries that you do have to just, you have to stop because it's not going to get better unless you rest it. Nine times out of 10, a lot of these injuries that we do deal with, some form of movement is better than not doing anything at all. And so if you can find, and I always say when I'm working with my clients that I want, when you're going through this, this, especially with a chronic injury, because you've been dealing with it for a while, when you're going through an injury recovery situation, I want pain-free movement. Okay. I don't, I don't want you to stop moving, but I also don't want you be, to continue moving into those movement patterns that are creating or increasing your pain. And so if I can find a way to decrease and get you into a pain-free movement pattern, because our body does heal better when we continue to move it. Um, a lot of people, and it's, it's changed, but in the past, if you, if you jacked your back up, what did people tell you to do? Go get in bed, put some ice on it, and we'll see you in a few days. We know now that that's actually one of the worst things you can do when you jack your back up, because once you stop moving, things get worse. Like you get tighter, your movement patterns get worse, your pain gets worse. But if you can find a way to move in pain-free ways, you can go ahead and kind of recover and bounce back from that faster. The, the great thing that kinesio tape does in these situations, when you have an injury, your muscles around the side of the injury start doing weird things. And that's a really, really technical term, right? But they you have an injury, you have a place that hurts and your body doesn't want it to hurt. So your muscles kind of lock down to protect that area. And sometimes that's a really good thing. So like if you go and you are playing soccer and you get side tackled and they blow out your knee and your ACL gets torn to pieces and your knee is just out there doing whatever, all of the muscles around your knee are going to lock down to stabilize and protect that joint. That's a really good thing because your knee is now super compromised and super vulnerable. And all of those muscles now are going to take over and, and do the job of that ligament that's been torn. Okay. So that's a really good thing. Now, if you move funny and you pull, like you tweak your back, same thing's going to happen. All of those muscles are going to tighten up because they're like, oh no, this hurts. And I don't want to do this again. Well, that's not necessarily necessary in your back because you didn't just blow out all the ligaments in your back, right? You just did something funny 
but now your whole back is locked down. And that is gonna lead to a lot more pain because everything is tight, nothing wants to move and your back is supposed to move. You're supposed to twist, bend, all that kind of stuff. And now you can't because those muscles are freaking out because something happened. What we can do with kinesio tape is we can put it on in a certain way and kind of tell those muscles, you know what, it's okay. We're gonna go ahead and you're gonna work a little bit less and I'm gonna show you with this tape, this is obviously not how it happens, but we're gonna use this tape to kind of regulate the muscles down a little bit so that we can get back into moving and it's gonna be okay. And so that's what I like kinesio tape for as far as injuries go is we, when you have an injury, you have that heightened autonomic nervous system response of like, it's don't move, don't move. It's not gonna be okay if we move. And we can kind of talk to the muscles and be like, you know what, it is okay. We're gonna move, we're gonna give you the support. We're gonna make sure it doesn't hurt, but we're gonna continue to move and keep those movement patterns going. Perfect, now I wanna know the answer to the next question. Now I have to go back and read the next question. So How can you, you learn do it to at home? do it at home? So like I said, this is like a yes and no question. So there are fantastic videos on YouTube. And I will say I go and I pull YouTube videos quite a bit. So when I went to the class, they taught us the principles. They taught us if you tape it this way, you're going to inhibit muscles. If you tape it this way, you're going to facilitate muscles. If you have swelling, you're going to use this sort of taping. So we learned all the basics. The basics tied with knowledge of anatomy and how our body structure works can really get you a long way when it comes to kinesio taping. So like if you came to me and said, my shoulder hurts here, I'd be like, okay, well, we wanna inhibit the muscles because from what I'm looking at, your muscles are overactive. So I'm gonna tape from here to here because I know this is where the muscle goes and that's gonna work just fine. The videos are really good if you do not have a good knowledge of human anatomy and you don't know the basics of kinesio taping. You don't know which way to go for muscle inhibition or muscle facilitation. All of that being said, you're gonna be better off if you go find a provider who knows these, or these techniques because they're gonna be able to customize it to you, your injury and your body. So the videos, if you go watch the videos and I really like the KT tape videos, I think they're the most accurate, the most thorough. Um, you go watch these videos, they're gonna give you very generic, very basic instructions that are fairly helpful. Now, if you go and watch one of these videos, do a taping on yourself and nothing happens, it's not necessarily because it didn't work, it could be because you didn't apply it in the correct way. So I don't, I don't think the videos are bad. And I think, especially right now where a lot of people can't go, to the doctor on a regular basis or go to their therapist on a regular basis. I don't think they're a bad option. I just don't think they're the best option either. I think they're really good in a pinch. What I will do when I have people come to see me and we decide to utilize tape as an option, I will try to teach them or their spouse or somebody how to do, if we find the taping techniques works and it's gonna be you know, a four to six week thing and they're moving well and they just need a little bit of support, I will be like, you know what, let me show you how to do this. And then they can have it done at home. They don't have to come see me every single week just to get taped. And that I prefer that to the videos, but the videos, the videos aren't bad. So it's, you're just, you're not going to 
obviously learn why it's working or the ins and outs and how to apply it to different areas, but it's going to be something that can be helpful for you. Um, the next question kind of goes hand in hand, hand in hand with that, that can a, can a tape job, bad tape job be more harmful than helpful? And I will say, yeah, it can be. Um, I will say too, though, that I have put tape on people and gotten the opposite response of what I was going for. And it actually did increase their pain and we took it off. So when I tape somebody, when working with my clients, I have a whole spiel that I give out every single time. But part of that includes if, if you have the tape on and your pain increases, take it off. Because we're working on a neuromuscular level when we use kinesio tape, it can have either a really, really effective, we can get really, really effective taping that actually does the opposite of what I went for. So if I'm trying to inhibit, if you have a really tight neck and I'm trying to inhibit those muscles and tell them to chill out, every once in a while, I'll put it on somebody and it has the opposite effect and it makes it worse. And my, my answer to that is just take it off. It's just a piece of tape. And almost instantly when it comes off, it feels so much better, which is crazy to me. I will say with all of this, because I know there's somebody out there listening that's like, this is a load of crap, kinesio tape. Like how can a piece of tape make a big difference like this? And I will say that I was 100% that person when I first started using it in a clinic setting. My, my clinic instructor, when I was in PT school was like, try this on a patient. I was like, this is crap. Like, what is a piece of tape going to do? And then I was pregnant at the time and my back was jacked because I was pregnant. She's like, let me do some therapy on you and then let me tape you. And I was like, sure. Like, let's, let's try it out. And it made a huge difference for me. And I was shocked because I was super skeptical. The people that I've put on and every once in a while, like I said, we have that adverse reaction. They're like, I didn't realize a piece of tape could do something like that. Like I'm they're, they're kind of blown away by how effective it can be or how um, much of an impact it can have. So yes, a bad tape job can have a, a reverse or an adverse effect. A good tape job can have an adverse effect. So you just have to be aware that it is a tool. And if it is not working, if it's not giving you the result that you want, or it's giving you the opposite, then you just take it off and you, and then you kind of pivot and go a different direction. And that that situation where it does give you that adverse reaction, that's when it's really helpful to be working with somebody who knows how the tape works. Because if I put it on you and it gives you the opposite effect, well, next time I do it, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to try a different technique or I'm going to try a different placement because now I know that, you know what, that works for my body and that works for someone else's body, but that's not going to work for yours. So we're going to go ahead and pivot and go a different direction. Anything else? I think that covered all the questions that Rachel had. So thank you for all of that. And you know, my initial perspective was like what I said with my question in the middle there of like, I would see people at races and wonder if you're that injured with all this tape, I don't understand why you would still be running, but it makes sense if it makes it so you don't feel the pain and it can complete that goal. Cause I know what it's like to train for a race. It would be, you know, dev it is devastating when you can't meet your goal, right? Um, that you've also yeah. worked hard for. So I appreciate that perspective. And I do now agree uh, in general in life, like movement is a medicine um, that yeah. we should use. Like if I can move, I wanna move if I'm injured um, versus feeling, oh, 
I rolled my ankle two weeks ago. So that means I won't be running until there's zero swelling. They told us in PT school that um, motion is lotion for your body. So the more you can move, the better off you are. And I will say too, kinesio tape is, it's a great pain management thing, but I, I like it more for the fact that it's managing the pain because it's changing your movement patterns and it's supporting your muscles. So it's not like, it's not like taking in a leave and going out for a run and just ignoring the fact that you're having pain. It's actually addressing it more on a structural level. So it's giving your body it's giving your body the information it needs to support itself better. And that's the other thing I like too, is it's, you're not relying on an outside support. You're using the tape to kind of help prompt your body so that your body supports yourself better rather than relying on an ankle brace or a knee brace or something like that. And then we always wean away from it. And I think that ultimately, that's ultimately the goal, right? Like you don't want to show up to these races taped from head to toe you want to get to the point where your body is supporting you better. And that's, I think kinesio tape is a really good tool for that. So I love this question. Awesome. Thanks for the great question, Rachel. Okay. So the next question, which I'm excited to hear the answer to is from an unstressed papa, not an unstressed mama. And I love it. Um, so this question is from Paul, who is one of our friend April's husband. And he says, when is a good time to set your kid up with a credit card slash add them to your credit card to start building positive credit for their future? Basically how to get your kids um, to be set up financially and build a positive credit history. So this is all about you, Allison. because I have no idea. Yeah, so this is a great question. And um, my kid obviously is not old enough to be building a credit score yet, but I have put plenty of thought into this already myself. So a good credit history is a lot more than just taking actions. So where you want to start with this is pretty much the day that they are born. Because the biggest thing, the biggest predictor of people who are going to have a good credit score and be good with their money is modeling their parents' behavior. Um, when I do money management coaching with my clients, there's a form that they fill out first before I talk to them. And one of the questions is, what was money like in your house when you were growing up? And how was it handled? And what were your feelings about it? And 100% of the time, somebody who is struggling in some way with money management, that behavior was directly learned from their parents. Um, so that is going to be hands down the most important thing you can do. And we touched a little bit when we had our episode with Sarah Lynette about mindset, just the way that you talk about money with your kids also is huge and something like, um, oh, you know, I want to go on vacation here and you think we can't afford that. Those kind of things, while maybe not directly related to a credit score, are also really important to start building a mindset around money that it is a tool to be used and not something that, ooh, ooh, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme. And then as soon as I get it, I'm going to blow it all on this and then some. So you want to start 
like I said, the day they come home from the hospital, they're soaking in everything. So start modeling the good mindset around money and start showing them yourself that you're responsible with it. And, you know, not having things like, like late bills and joking about, oops, you know, another late fee and which seems ridiculous, but I can't tell you the amount of people that I've heard joke about those kind of things. Um, so that, and then as far as adding them on your credit card, um, that can be a little scary. I know you have to, to let them fly at some point, but I believe you legally cannot add them to your credit card until they're 18. I could be wrong on that, but it seems like you can't have one. You can get the debit card that's made for kids. Is it called Greenlight? I believe. I don't have that because, um, cause it, cost a fee every month and I'm like oh no um but that's a really good tool that you can have their allowance deposited in there and then they can choose to spend it on things um but what I think is really a good idea whether they have you know a kid's debit card or whether they have cash whenever they get money you need to allocate for them part of it goes to savings part of it goes to charity, part of it is your spending money, just like real life. And if you even wanted to get deeper, you could take taxes out of it to pay for upkeep of their bedroom or whatever, you know, whatever you wanted to simulate, like roads and government services are for them at home. Um, I don't do that, but that would be kind of funny. Um, <laughs> government services at home, that just made yes. me giggle a little bit. I love it. <laughs> I just, I like to really try to simulate real life with money. And my son quite often asks, oh, can I get this and then earn it later? Oh, it just makes me cringe. And I don't, he just has those ideas on his own, you know, to do this because he doesn't necessarily want to earn the money now. He doesn't feel like it. And so I do everything I can to try to get him out of that mindset. He's eight. So, um, you know, hopefully having it repeated to him 10,000 times before he's old enough to spend his own money will help. But if it doesn't, um, it doesn't. <laughs> so as far as, as the credit card, though, if you were to put your kid on your credit card to help with that, um, I would say, depending on the kid, it would probably need to be very, very monitored. And I would go over with them every week what is going on with it and, and show them, you know, get their free credit report, show them how it's showing up for them, talk to them about how it will affect their future life, how much less of a house payment they can have if they have a good credit score car payment, you know, all of it, any kind of financing they need, how much better it will work for them. And as you're going along your journey, not everybody has the best knowledge of money. So it's fine to use tools with that. So I have some books that I use um, to help me along the way. 
And this one that I just recently discovered, the Tuttle Twins series, they have one called The Messed Up Market. And it's about kid entrepreneurs and how things work when when things don't go the way they should and people don't hold up their end of the bargain. And that's a really good one for younger ages. And older ages, I would, you know, teenagers and especially older teenagers, I would start having them read finance books and and business type of books so they know. Um, it might not sink in immediately, but you're establishing the groundwork. And all of that plays into somebody growing up to be responsible with their money. And what was the name of the book that you just mentioned, Allison? Um, it's the Tuttle Twins and the Messed Up Market. I can put a link. I'll give you a link for the show notes for that. You know, I love my books. So it's like, ooh, <laughs> books, yes. kids. So, um, yeah, books. So that's what, from seeing the people that, most of the people that I coach don't have a bad credit score. Um, it might not be the best credit score, but what the underlying problem is where they're not really, really good at money management is that they were not modeled good behavior when they were growing up. And sometimes it's that one parent is really good with money and the other one isn't. And they picked up the, the other, because it's more fun to not be good with your money. You get instant gratification and um, unfortunately, there's nothing you can do if somebody else is modeling that behavior to them other than just try to build the groundwork. Um, you know, read them the book, show them, make them earn their money. Don't just give it to them and, and show them how it works in real life when they get $10 of allowance. Okay, well, we're taking two of this to put in savings. We're, you know, another dollar is going to a charity of your choice and the rest of it you can spend on whatever you choose or however you decide to allocate that. And another thing that I am starting to do is uh, Danny has a UTMA that he's had since he's been born and it's invested and I am going to start teaching him soon how that works. So making it fun and not, um, it's very easy to get a negative mindset around every time I get money, you know, my parents take 30% of it, three of my $10, this is ridiculous. I didn't, I don't want that. Um, so to show them though, what happens when you save that $2 and, and how it can grow and what kind of things that you can do with it. I love the idea of making sure that you're involving them and teaching them like why, because I think I was, I, I just, my husband likes to watch the reels on Instagram. So he sends me reels all the time on Instagram. Anyways, there was one he sent that was some, was talking about add like piggybacking credit. I don't know if you've heard that term, but it was like basically adding your kid as an authorized user on your credit card which sounds scary to me too. Cause I don't want to just like, you don't want to hand a credit card over to a 16 year old. If you haven't like taught them how to take care of it. Right. Especially if it's attached to your credit, but 
being able to teach them like the why behind you're doing it so that when it's time for them to take stuff over, it's not that you've just taken care of it for 18 years. And then now you're handing them all this information and this credit that you've built them rather than them building it themselves. I, I think the, the education piece is huge. And I think too, and I don't know, maybe this is reaching. So you can tell me if this is ridiculous, but I think there's ways to teach that, that money management understanding without even having to do it with money either. Like I think reminding kids that you can work for something. So like Roy, um, I ordered like some workout t-shirts and he saw me ordering one and he was like, I really want that shirt. And I was like, well, let's, let's figure out a way that you can earn this shirt rather than me giving you this shirt. And so, because it was a workout thing, we made a deal that if he did 20 workouts, he could earn the shirt. And that kid did like two workouts yesterday because he was at 18 and he wanted to finish earning that shirt. And, and I'm not saying he's doing like little itty bitty workouts. Like he's doing like 15 minute workouts with me on Saturday. He did a full workout with my clients and he's, he's doing awesome. And he's learning that if he puts in the time, he can earn something. It's not money. Obviously we're doing it in a different way, but he's learning that principle of like, if I want something I can't get, I can't always get it right away. I have to put in some work to get there. And I'm hoping that if we can continue teaching these kind of things, that it will apply to money too. And we can kind of make that leap from, you know, when you work out, you put in the time and you, you get something back eventually. The same thing with money. You take a little bit here, you would put it in this account or this investment, and then you do get it back. Eventually you get it back better. And so I think, and my kids are six and four and two. So we're not at the point where we're you know, talking about credit cards yet either, but we can do some of those principles of that. Cause we live in such an instant gratification world anyways. Like if I want something, I go on Amazon, I can have it the next day. And so to have to learn to wait and to work, I think is something that's really important for our kids and can apply to money and other things. And I think it's good to figure out a way to involve that earlier on rather than waiting until they're old, older. I like how you mentioned that he was doing workouts because the same principles apply to raising a kid who is grows up to be concerned with his health and fitness as it does to raising a kid who is responsible with money. It's all about modeling and doing it with them right from the beginning. All the same. I was just going to share a little story the other day. So uh, my husband wanted a Nintendo Switch uh, for Christmas. And so I got him one, but I made it like a family thing. And our kids really like it. He's, my husband's a huge game person. I don't dislike games, but like I'm just not good at them. So they, I read my books while they all play. And it's like a little bonding time for them. Sure. And so there's some games she likes to play, but she wants to be able to do them. Well, he wanted her to be able to do it on her own. So he found a game and he actually was like, oh, with the Switch, it's the instant gratification. You don't even have to like go to a store to buy things. You can just download. You don't have to wait for Amazon to deliver in two days. You can just download it right away. But he was able to download a, like a trial before buying it, which I thought was awesome. But turns out she liked it. And so like, okay, well, we, we bought it. And then she got bored with it like three days later and goes, well, let me look for another game. And he was like, these cost money. Like we're not going to just buy a new game every time you get bored with one. She was just like, oh. And it was like for her, you know, the first time we were, 
and, and this is a problem I kind of have in general. Like the first time my kid does something, I'm kind of like, oh, sure. It's the first time they've, you know, the back of my mind, the first time they've asked, whether it's money or food or whatever, um, a behavior. And then I realized like I've now just set that precedent of like, we didn't do anything the first time for her to get the game. So now she thinks she can just go get another game. Like she did nothing for it. And we had to be like, well, no, we're not just going to buy new games every week because they're expensive. Um, and then another kind of reference of that mindset, Allison, you talked about a little bit earlier, you know, just one thing my daughter has been asking and she's five over the past year, like how much does that cost? Or like, I'll go get groceries. Well, <clears throat> how much were your groceries? And she's like really interested in the amount of money things are. And so like, I just tell her like what the amount, amount was very factual, but I have to remind myself, like not everyone is in the same position. And so I try to kind of take it without like the emotion of like, oh, that those groceries are, yeah, it was $300. Like if I say it was $300, she's like $300. I'm like, yep, that was the cost. It was $300 because for some people, $300 may be like, that's like my grocery bill for a month. Um, and I just, I'm trying to be conscious of her relationship to money as now she's in the public schools and around other people and trying to put her in a position where people won't be like, oh, she has X, Y, and Z, or this person doesn't, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I appreciate these tips about it and those reminders because, you know, with a five-year-old, we're just kind of getting to where she's asking the questions and see room for improvement here. Um, just to ex expand a little on the, this, the book I talked about is about being a kid entrepreneur. And my son has had a lemonade stand twice. And the first time he did not sell, I was having a yard sale also, and he sold only one lemonade. And that was to the neighbor because he went over and knocked on the door and asked him. And everybody else just ignored him it was horrible and last year he wanted to try it again we were we're in a different house now and he had his cousin here and a friend from down the street and I thought oh you know what I'm going to help him a little bit with some of the things I've learned with my business so for starters we didn't ask a price we just I had them make a sign that said goodwill donation because they were all cute um so and then one of the neighbor kid went and knocked on doors on the whole street and oh they were also doing car washes which I didn't in a million years think anybody would take them up on but somebody did and I made them do it um, they actually washed and dried the car and they did a pretty good job and they made $45 from their lemonade stand um, it was awesome and they had to you know they split it evenly so they they each got some of the money but it was a lot of work and they had to help with it. And he hasn't asked to do one since, even though he got all that money, but it was a good, a good lesson about, you know, putting in the right kind of work marketing and, and thinking about how you're doing it and location for the, for the entrepreneur mindset, which I definitely am trying to nurture there because I'm obviously a fan of being an entrepreneur. <laughs> But that's, you know, just having them do those kind of things and showing them the work. And, and I didn't take the product cost out of their profit, but I mentioned it. 
I said, I won't do that this time, but if you're going to do this a lot, then you're going to have to pay for the cups and the lemonade that goes into these cups. I'm sponsoring it this time because it's keeping you busy <laughs> and you're learning a good lesson. But that's, I'm very realistic with the things that, that I tell him about all of that. I love that story, Allison, like setting them up, getting them the success and then be like, well, just so you know, there's way more to this. <laughs> Make them ready for that next one once this weather stays nice. Yeah, when no they All right, well, I'm gonna move on, ask the next question we have here. This one comes from Sarah. She's a listener in Arizona. And she says, I've been looking for a zero drop shoe with a wide toe box because I have a bunion starting and mild plantar fasciitis. If you know of one, I'd love to know. All right, well, I'll start with this one, but I will first caveat that I am not a shoe expert. Um, however, reading her post about the shoes, I'm like, this is like my life. Um, I do have, well, I have a bunion. I've had a bunion for about 15 years and I found the brand ultra years ago when they actually looked like clown shoes because they have a super wide toe box, um, which allows your foot to, uh, spread out and all those bones spread out uh, when you're running and not, you know, keep them all squished together. I also have a wide foot before I have the bunion. So like when I found these wide toe boxes, I put them on, I'm like, man, I look like I'm wearing clown shoes. This was also 10 plus years ago. And, but my feet feel amazing. I mean, after I switched to the ultras, I didn't have any plantar fasciitis issues for years. Um, and I, my bunion pain has almost gone away in those years. Now I just started, so, Ultra is getting more popular. The zero drop shoe is getting more popular. And Kelsey, I'm going to let you talk a little more about, more about the mechanics of why the zero drop makes sense. But one of the reasons why I like the zero drop is it's mimicking the foot geometry that would be as if you're barefoot. Uh, but the ultras aren't necessarily all minimalist shoes. Some of them still have good cushion. So if you want cushion for the impact, you can still get some of some shoes from ultra with a cushion but they also have um, minimalist styles as well. Um, I will say lately, because they are becoming a little bit more popular that I have kind of seen those toe boxes get a little bit smaller. Um, I think probably to you know, catch those people who didn't want to wear clown, clown shoes. Um, once I had them on, I was like, I don't care what my feet look like because I want to be able to run without pain. Um, and the last pair I got, I am not a huge. Well, I actually bought two pair at the same time. I bought a trail shoe and a running shoe and the trail shoe is amazing. I love it. It's great. Um, so I'm Jack in the run, the road shoe I got, I just don't love it. I talked about it in my run club. Um, actually, even last night, we were still talking about shoes. We've been talking about shoes in there for a couple months, um, but I, I just don't love this shoe. I don't love it. And I think I'm going to see if I can take it back or exchange it or get some sort of credit just because I don't love it. And it's a little bit, like I said, less wide than I need for my feet. So um, 
the ultra brand is the one I would recommend. Um, and I would definitely recommend going to a running shoe store with a competent salesperson to walk you through the different challenges you have, the types of shoe you're looking for and try them on. And I would also ask to like, try them on whenever you, like if you have to order them, try them on when you pick them up and then like, you know, make sure you're running in them before you like leave the store. So, so this is going to sound like a sales pitch for ultra, but it's not, but it's also what I use. I would love to be sponsored by ultra, but we're not, and we're not crazy runners. Like the people that they sponsor, they sponsor like these super ultra marathoners anyways, but they are fantastic shoes. One of the things that I really love about their shoes, um, because they are a different style and they are a different fit is that you can buy them, wear them, run in them outside for 30 days and you can still return them if they don't work. So Melissa, if they're not working for you, you can go to the run store, but if, if the run store won't take them back, Ultra as a company will. And so you can actually send them back in. Um, and I know that because they are actually based out of Utah. The owner lives in Utah or the designer and they have a, an outlet store where their returns come. So I can actually go and shop their returns. So it's like, they're supposed to be gently used. Some of them look a little bit more gently used than others, um, but they have an outlet store here where they kind of send their, their used shoes to. Um, but I do love them. And I, I love that you kept calling them clown shoes because I started running in them when they first came out as well. Um, which was probably 12 years ago now, I think. I think I started running in when I was 19. And I and I started I was I think I got my first pair around 10 years ago. What year is it? Yeah, maybe, maybe eleven. I got mine. Mine were, were pretty they, were they like new. gray and blue? No, mine were orange and yellow. Oh, mine were gray and blue. So mine might have even been before that. Like they were not cute. They were hideous shoes. Not cute not is awful. the exact definition of they these were shoes awful back then. But, I was having some massive knee issues and I was running in, I wasn't running in zero drops before then I was running in minimal drops. So I was running in a, a sock knee, um, minimal drop that had like a four millimeter drop or something like that. So it was, it was better. It was better than what I was running in before. Um, oh, three. Usually the other drop I've seen, at least recently, is like around a three, maybe, maybe 12 years ago it was a four, but yeah, my side of walking. I think this was a four because this was when it was a new thing. This was when zero drops were not a big thing or minimal drops. And and it was helping, but it just wasn't enough. And so I decided to go all the way for the zero. And my mom had been running in them and she just gave me a pair that she had. And they were hideous and they were awful, but they felt amazing. I will say, and this kind of gets into the mechanics that there is an adjustment period. So if you have been running in traditional running shoes, um, there will be a huge adjustment period because what these minimal zero drop shoes do is they change your running pattern. So traditional shoes have the heel is up high, your forefoot is down low, um, and they have a huge cushion on the heel. So what they tend to do is encourage you to heel strike very aggressively. Um, you're going to land on an outstretched leg, all your weight's gonna go on your heel. And what that does is it takes all of the impact from the ground, from you colliding with the ground essentially, and it sends it straight up the chain. So it's your knee, 
your hips, your back ultimately are going to take the brunt of all of this impact because your leg is kind of locked out and on your heel when you land. That's not always a bad thing. It gets touted as this really, really awful, awful thing. And some people it's just fine for some people can run for that like that for hours. I cannot, my body cannot handle that. Um, especially since having kids, my body cannot handle that. And so I prefer the zero drop shoes because what it does is it, it shifts you to a midfoot or a forefoot landing rather than a heel strike landing when you're running. And what that does is landing on your forefoot or your, your toes puts your body weight more, um, above where you're landing and it allows your joints, your knee and your hip that are supposed to react to force going through them by bending and kind of compressing to do that better so that that impact is not getting amplified and sent up the chain of your body where your body has to absorb that shock. So your knee absorbs it, your hip absorbs it in a way that they're better able to manage it without it getting compounded and made worse. So all of that being said, it's a really great thing, but it does add more stress in different areas to your body, more demand on your muscles in different areas. And often in areas that you're not trained yet, or your body hasn't trained to be able to handle it. So a lot of people will move over to these minimal or zero drop shoes. And then three weeks later, they'll be complaining of shin splints because it does increase the load and the demand on your calf muscles. And if you're not easing into it or dealing with that transition time, tightness in your calf muscles can lead to shin splints if you're not careful. And so anytime anyone's considering switching to shoes like this, um, I get, I have a couple recommendations. One, like you said, Melissa, I do recommend going to a running store, go talk to somebody who knows more about running shoes. I know a lot about mechanics of running shoes, but I don't know what your feet look like. I know what my feet look like. I don't know how you run unless I've seen you run. You go to the running store and if you go to a good running store, they're gonna look at your feet. They may put you on a treadmill, see how you run. And then they're gonna make an assessment based off of how your body is. So that's the first recommendation. The second recommendation is if you choose to go with something like an ultra shoe, which like I said, I love, and I do personally recommend people exploring as an option because I think for most people, it is a very good option. Not everybody, but for a lot of people, it's a very good option. You gotta give yourself a little bit of time. So if you purchase a shoe that is very different from what you've been doing in the past, you got to ease into it. And then you have to know that it's not going to feel the same right out of the box because it's a totally different shoe. It's a different fit. It's a different design and your body is going to react differently. So don't take those shoes home and decide to go out for a five mile run and assume that everything's going to be okay. Cause unfortunately it's not, you may be lucky and it may be fine, but more often than not, you're going to get out there and be like, Holy crap. I feel horrible. My running is not the same and my feet are killing me. And it's not because the shoe is bad. It's because your body is going to have to adjust to this new shoe. And so you need to give yourself some time when ultra was becoming a big thing. When they were new, they were holding running clinics to kind of promote their, their shoe, obviously, but to also talk about transition, transitioning into the shoe. And one of their recommendations was at the end of your run, obviously you can't do this in the winter if you're running outside, but to kick off your shoes and run without shoes for a very short distance. You don't need to do like miles, but just because the ultra shoe, even the ones with the cushion, they're trying to encourage a more barefoot type of running. And so they're saying, you know, if you're going and doing a workout, 
when you're coming home and you're, you know, two houses away from your house, kick your shoes off and run on the grass and just see how that feels, because that's what you want to try to mimic when you're using these shoes. Again, you're not going to do that when there's three feet of snow outside, but if you have that option to kick your shoes off for a few minutes and just see how that running pattern is, if this is the shoe you're going to switch to, um, I, it, it, for me, it was very useful because it, it made me tune into my running a little bit more. And then when I put my shoes back on, it's like, oh, this makes sense. So make sure you give yourself the transition time. And then the third recommendation I have when it comes to shoes is if it's not a good fit after a trial period and a transition period, then don't be afraid to go back and try something different. This is a little bit harder depending on the brand because not all brands will let you return a used running shoe. Um, Ultra is one of the brands that will, I think you have 30 days to try it. So definitely make sure that if you are going to do something like that and you want to have the option to send it back, that you, you follow your time frame and you make sure that if you're going to send it back, you're within that 30 days, but don't be afraid to, to shop around a little bit because what works for me, what works for Melissa and what works for Allison may not be what works for you, but that doesn't mean it's bad. That just means that you've got to find the shoe that's going to work for your body, for your foot and for your exercise style, maybe running's not your thing. Maybe you just need a good walking shoe and maybe ultra is not the walking shoe for you. So you're going to go try something else. You've just got to be willing to test it out a little bit. And like I said, this is a little bit harder if you can't return the shoe, but a, a, a big jump to a brand like ultra that is that zero drop with the wider foot box. Um, that can be a scary thing if you know that you're going to be stuck with the shoe. So if you can return it and it's not working for you, make sure you do that and go and continue to find something that's going to work better for your foot. One other thing I would like to add is, you know, if you're currently using a running shoe, that's like an eight millimeter drop, which eight millimeters isn't a whole lot. Um, if, if that's what you currently have and you could just look up your shoe and it, all, most all brands of shoes say now what their drop is like eight millimeters isn't a lot but it's not zero um and you want to make this transition to zero and say you bought a pair of zero drops and you went for that run you felt sluggish and you now have shin splints maybe you need to kind of take the long approach and maybe go to a three millimeter drop shoe and work that work your body into that um it's like saying um you know, you're not going to switch over overnight. And if you remember back when the Vibram five fingers came out, they, people were complaining about shin splints for the exact same reason. It's that barefoot motion. And what kind of shoes are you wearing all day? So I try to wear flat shoes all day long. Um, so for me, I'm not just saying, well, now I'm going to put flat shoes on to go for my run for 30 minutes. And the rest of the time I'm in a two inch heel, or, you know, even just those like tiny heels and um, shoes change the way you walk and what the way your muscles and your calves activate. And so think too, not just about what shoes you're going to be performing your exercise in, but what shoes you're wearing all day long. Um, because if that tiny bit of a heel on like an Oxford shoe can definitely, and you're wearing that, you know, eight hours a day, you know, that 30 minutes in a zero drop, say going for a run is going to be a big change if you, even for just 30 minutes. So when you talk about, when uh, Kelsey talked about like incrementally adding that in, it's like running them for like two minutes to start with. Um, and it, it's kind of a process. Um, and so you can kind of make that shift maybe if that seems like way overwhelming to do 
a two minutes in this one pair of shoes and to change my shoes and go back to the others for the rest of my run, maybe consider kind of lowering the drop incrementally versus um, all at once. So I, that's how I transitioned in. Like I said, I was in a minimal before I went to a zero, but if, if even just doing that, like you're saying that two minutes, just go no shoes for two minutes. Like if you know, zero drops where you want to go and you are in a minimal or even an eight millimeter, a larger drop shoe, and you're wanting to test out to see if this would be a good option for your running style, you can kick your shoes off. Especially if you're, I do it on the treadmill. I've run barefoot on my treadmill before. It's weird, but it's possible. I just leave my socks on. Um, but you can try that kind of stuff out without the shoe um, at home and see how that works as well. And it is a little less intimidating than having to like take two pairs of shoes with you when you go for your run and having to change at the end. The other thing you can do, and if someone is interested in some of this transition stuff, I'm happy to talk more in depth about it as well, because it's something that I went through years ago and it's been very beneficial for me. Um, but track, like a track workout, is a really good place to start trying some of the stuff out too, especially now that we're coming into this warmer season. Um, there's a lot of different options to get yourself there in a safe, more effective way. And like I said, it, it does change your running style. And for me, um, it was beneficial. I guess the other thing I'll, I'll add, and we can maybe end with this is someone who's, there's going to be people who are listening to this that are like, oh, my running shoe is great, but maybe I should look into zero drop. Um, I tend to be by the, the idea of if it's not broke, don't fix it. So if you're feeling like your running shoe fits great for you, and it's one of those traditional running shoes with a big cushioned heel and, you know, that eight plus millimeter drop, and that works for you, then don't change it. Like you don't need to move out of something. Um, if your body has adapted to that and you're working really well, then go for it. When I changed, I was having problems. I was having knee pain and it was not what I was using was not working and I had to find a different solution. And that's what led me to the zero drop shoes. So if you're sitting here listening, you're like, this sounds really cool, but my running shoe feels great. Then don't like, just don't <laughs> because it is, it is a transition time. Unless you're feeling like, you know, maybe long-term I do need to change my running, then go ahead and do it. But I'm, I'm just saying, don't feel like you, you have to try this out because it's the new thing. And it's not, it's not the new thing anymore. It's been around for a while, but because it's something that we're talking about, don't feel like you have to do it. If you feel like what you have is a good option. So that is a good way, I think, to kind of end and wrap this up. I love these episodes. I love answering questions and I love making sure that the content that we're talking about is stuff that is helpful to others that are listening. So we will definitely be doing another one of these. We didn't get to all the questions that we had again and yeah, it's just good. So thank you for listening and we'll catch you guys next time. The Unstressed Mama podcast is brought to you by Allison Rodden, Kelsey Decker, and Melissa Sroby. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Unstressed Mama and on Instagram at Unstressed Mama. If you like what you heard, be sure to tell your friends so other mamas can join in the fun. You can find our individual contact information in the show notes for this episode. If you have questions about this topic or suggestions for future topics, the best place to reach us is through our Facebook group, Instagram page, 
or email at unstressedmama at gmail.com. Thank you.